1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com.
2: It's my little escape.
1: Now Judy's the life of the party.
2: Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon.
1: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. (laughs)
0: over seven million different animals inhabit our planet. You know, you you think about it for five seconds, but now when I see a pelican, I'm going to be like, wow, you know, look at the beak. What can they teach us?
1: The last thing that they do is as they hit the water, they're actually kind of already, if you think of like a jet that's trying to land a plane, they're actually already like pulling back and trying to pump the brakes.
0: Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. Angie, uh, uh, this is going to be a fun podcast. I mean, I I don't know. What is it about just plastic-free July? I mean, I know we're going into August now, but we're kind of wrapping it all up with this bird the pelican. But what? it's just fun talking about oceanic species. They're just so much fun.
1: Absolutely, Chris. I think they're just so majestic, right? Mm -hmm. Like the oceans and waterways, it's just so vast. But for me, it's also like my happy spot being near the water. And so talking, especially about a shorebird, that when you go to the ocean, especially where I'm at here in Florida, and then, I mean- and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to, if not the pelican, but other shorebirds to just go sit at the beach or swim in the shallows of the ocean and be around shorebirds and watch their behaviors, watch them gliding over the ocean or pecking in the sand or moving with the waves. It's just, yeah, it's just for me, it's just really peaceful. And I, of course, I'm a behavior dork, so I love mm-hmm. watching the behavior or, and especially watching the pelicans dive for, uh, for their food. And then this week, learning all about the dynamics of how they do that, right? So really taking the behaviors I've seen and loved as a child and now as an adult and then really exploring them more. Uh, yeah, the ocean just holds so much fun and mystery still mm, and just mm, really, mm. really cool creatures and it really motivates me to want to learn more about them and save them. Yeah. And, of course, you probably came across this in Prepping for Pelican, but there are stories about pelicans consuming too much plastic and mm-hmm. having their their ghoul or, or their throat pouch, uh, which, of course, the pelicans known for right? their iconic bill, having that ripped by garbage in the ocean.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, really And then nice causing
1: way. them harm, right? So I think this is a perfect bird to kind of wrap up uh, Plastic free July, and just in general, thinking and talking more about oceans and waterways and help keeping them less polluted.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it. It is an amazing bird, and and we're going to focus mainly on the brown pelican today. Uh, there, you're going to find out there's eight different species, but they did have a great comeback story. Uh, they were they were suffering a lot in the 1950s and 60s, so we'll talk about that. I mean, when I think of pelicans, I think of Nigel from Finding Nemo. <laughs> yes,
1: goofy. <laughs> yes, yes. Charismatic. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, he's 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 spectacular. And then this was requested by my partner Pippa. Uh, you know, I, I didn't tell people a lot about this, you know, over the, the last couple of years, but her and I, because of the border closures were separated for quite a long time. Uh, we made it through, we knew we'd make it through, but I had to get down here, get back down here to New Zealand. And I couldn't bring her in, uh, until the border, uh, cracked open in May of this year. So she did say, well, if you're going to do something, dude, Pelican. And I, and I was, we were going to do it like back in May. But I said we'll save it for July, and we'll we'll end up an amazing month of of species that we've covered. We started off the month with uh, with a bang with the mantis shrimp, and then we went and uh, we were we were blown away by bull sharks. Then salmon, like out of nowhere, came out, and just the the whole morphological changes with them was just incredible. And now we're ending it with an amazing amazing bird. So this is one for you, Pip. And then I just want to say a quick thank you to our Patreon supporters. We are doing our monthly lives and we are sending significant funds to these conservation organizations uh, that we cover each week. And that is thanks to you on Patreon. And then once ad revenue does kick in uh, with our, our switch over to the Airwave Network, we're definitely going to be sending that money to, to these organizations we cover week in, week out because they're doing the work that uh, we needs support desperately.
1: Absolutely, Chris. And I just want to encourage everyone as well to uh, subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. Uh, We really appreciate it and helps get our numbers up and gets the word out there. And so a big shout out this week to J.B. Maldard, who gave us a glowing uh, written review on iTunes. So thank you for that. We really appreciate it. And it helps keep our spirits going and knowing that you're listening and wanting more. And And we also love any uh, feedback through our social media platforms, or you can join us on our All Creatures Podcast uh, Facebook group, too. So it's really fun, interactive, and request species and just uh, tell us your thoughts.
0: All right. Well, let's jump into describing the pelican. This is the larger, one of the larger of the the eight species, right? I mean, the browns are pretty big, uh, but beautiful. Like some of the the coloration patterns on them are just wow. I n- I never realized they could be so pretty.
1: I know. I, I think the like just saying brown pelican is mm-hmm. maybe doesn't have as much of a flashy name as the Dalmatian pelican. Yes. I that that's the <laughs> yeah. largest one. Yeah. Uh but yeah, I mean the brown pelicans are really easy to recognize, right? They have a big body and this long spear-like bill. And then, of course, their famous, it's called gular or throat pouch. I'll probably say throat pouch because gular, (laughs) it's a mouthful, right? Uh, And we'll definitely be talking more about the the, uh, physiology of that pouch here as we move through the podcast. But The coloration pattern of the Brown Pelican is, yes, generically grayish brown, but it's, as Chris says, it's much more beautiful than that. There's a lot of white and cream intermingled in the body, and they have a white head and neck, and... That's not really doing justice because depending on the subspecies of brown pelican, Mm. they can either have a little bit more brown on their neck or some of them even have like a pale yellow head in neck. And some have a little bit more gray to their feathers and some have more brown. And so there is this kind of regional difference in how the brown pelican appears. There's just these really distinct color differences between the non-breeding adult pelican as far as their head and neck feathers, their eye color, and their beak color, and the gular pouch. All this can change colors when they're in breeding season versus non-breeding season. So very, very distinct. And then of course, similar in other species of birds, the juveniles are going to look definitely different. In fact, uh, to me, they're the most representative of the brown pelican because the juvenile brown pelican is pretty much all brown. Its head and neck are all brown. The body's all brown. Uh, so that's the classic brown look. But as they move, as they become breeding adults, they get more of this white head that then can sometimes have more yellow in it. And so yeah, there's a really, really beautiful bird. And The brown pelican's feet are typically black or dark grayish in color, and they have webbed feet uh, with webbing that stretches um, from the front um, all the way back to the hind toe. And their bill color is almost like a gray, brown, sometimes cream colored, once again, depending on the regionality of the species. Uh, But it it has a sharp hook at the end of the bill, which we'll talk about when we get to hunting and nutrition. Just a gorgeous bird and with beautiful plumage. I mean, I've, I guess I've never really looked at a pelican that close up, but I, I'm in love.
0: No, I mean, I, it's, it's like, that's what I love about doing this and doing the podcast and doing the research because I used to see them all the time, you know, see pelicans all the time growing up in California. You see them in Florida. Sure. It's like, oh, wow, there's a pelican or there's a, there's a, uh, We'll call it a squadron one of the things they call them a the pelicans flying in v formation and it's something amazing but you're like oh okay that's pretty okay i don't know where were we you know you you think about it for five seconds but now when I see a pelican, I'm gonna be like, wow, you know, look at the beak. I'm gonna look at the colors. I'm gonna more appreciate it.
1: We're totally you know? bird nerds now. Yeah, Chris. I know. Or Thanks, or, I, I think I'm yeah, you're definitely <laughs> further along than me. Yeah. I'm still more in the wannabe phase. But yeah, but yeah, actually, I'm gonna look up now and be like, first of all, I didn't even know there was in North America, there's there's the white pelicans mm-hmm. and the brown pelicans. So there's mm-hmm. two main species, and we'll uh touch more on that. But I didn't even know that, then let alone all these different um coloration patterns yeah. depending yeah. on if they were breeding or not
0: yeah they're beautiful they're beautiful and they're big these are big so, birds can we talk about the wingspan for yeah a second? okay we'll start the wingspan a little bit taller than me 79 inches i'm 77 yeah. inches so almost six foot seven or 200 centimeters the wingspan that's massive It's this is a big bird weighs up to 11 pounds or five kilograms
1: I heard even up to 16, depending on. That's
0: probably what they're eating. I mean, that's massive. That's a big bird. Remember, birds fly, and so they're usually pretty light. (laughs) So when you talk about a bird being that heavy, you know, there's a lot of muscle going on, you know, to fly distances and catch fish. And there is some sexual dimorphism where uh, males can be up to 20% heavier than females. So they're a little bit bigger. But beautiful bird. Like you said, in North America, so the brown pelican is, is in the Americas, not just North America, but also down in South America. Um, you do find them um, you know, up to, to Washington State near British Columbia. Uh, you can go down into the Gulf of California, off Mexico, Baja, Mexico, uh, down the coast all the way off Peru. So that's where you see uh, the Pacific Range and then your atlantic range up near, you know, johns neck of the woods, not quite massachusetts but you know new york area down florida the entire caribbean and gulf of mexico and then that northern part of south america so at venezuela uh colombia but it's interesting that there is a little bit of migration normally they don't migrate right like pelicans generally don't unless the the weather, really the coldest months of the year, they will migrate a little bit.
1: Yeah, Chris. I mean, they're smart birds. So the ones that are living further north uh, will migrate during the winter, right? They know nobody wants to be up there uh, doing that. Um, Yet uh, a lot of the populations that are like, let's say in Florida, where the weather is much more mild, probably won't uh, migrate at all. So once again, a lot of it depends on the regionality of, um, of the subspecies and, and where they're living. So they're, very, they're, they're flexible um, uh, as far as whether, whether, you know, whether or not they need to migrate during breeding season.
0: Well, and I read too, uh, they're their vagrant populations. So and a vagrant bird is one that's outside its natural range. So I go back to the snowy owl that they found in Hawaii. They're like, what in the heck is a snowy owl doing in Hawaii? And sure. they thought it was somebody's pet, but it was a vagrant that had mm-hmm. made it somehow, some way, had flown to Hawaii. And just interesting, this other day, I've, I've, there's a, a now vagrant species that's now actually, they're calling it native, and it's the barn owl here in New Zealand. It had flown over from Australia, so vagrants that had established themselves in the northern part of the country And now they recognize them as a native bird because they've set up nesting uh, everything. And I went and looked and the the barn owl is actually, we're going to have to do them.
1: Yes, Chris. I love barn owls. I worked with one for years. Her name was Elba. She was fantastic. She was one of our education (laughs) birds. Yes.
0: I did not know this. They are the most widespread land bird species in the world. They're on every continent except Antarctica. I love them. So okay, well, yeah, we'll put that I was driving list. to Auckland with Pip the other day and I was like, and they're not, I, I'm, I'm, I'm South of Auckland. They, they are v- v- rarely spotted here. And I saw something flying. Cause you know, I'm, I'm, she was driving and so I'm the nerd, and I'm looking at all the birds trying to identify <laughs> them. And, and I'm teaching her like, Oh, there's a swamp parrier Cause we're always looking for like the New Zealand Falcon, uh, which is rare to see. And I saw this bird flying with this flat face and I was like, that cannot be an owl. There's no way. And I went and I looked. I'm like, it is. And so I'm texting Jesse. I just saw a barn owl. (laughs) Guess where Jesse's been the last five nights? (laughs) Because he hasn't seen one yet in New Zealand. Uh, He's out there looking for that barn owl. I love him. Good for him. Yeah.
1: Well, that's just the interesting thing about birds and like, at like we were talking about earlier as we explore in this podcast um, more about behavior and the physiology of birds. They're just, they're, you know, they're so resilient. And, and even with the brown pelicans, the ones that are in the Northern range, a lot of them will migrate South, but then there are these small subsets, subsets of populations that are like, no, we're going to hang back and we're not going to migrate. And then they stay up North in the Northern ranges and they don't go South for the winter. So it's, and it, you have to wonder, are they doing that because now that, you know, there's a niche that they can occupy, why most of them go down south? I mean, so it's just it's just it's like watching kind of evolution in real time, right? Yeah. A- yeah as yeah. far it's as nuts. or be I should say like um, you know, behavioral evolution. Uh it's just it's really cool. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, I
0: mean, like the barn owl I saw the other day. So obviously they're pushing south, right? You no, know, right. they were north of Auckland. Now they're starting to find them south of Auckland, you know. And they're they're just pushing south in the country. And you know, it it it's amazing. It's amazing uh, nature nature every week every week
1: every week i know i love this podcast and i hope everyone listening does as well yeah
0: yeah 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 now why care for about pelicans just because nigel is awesome and and you know i mean they are a key predator they're carnivore i mean episcopores they eat fish but they're definitely helping keep some of these fish populations in check
1: oh absolutely and they're just such a charismatic species right so they are a bird that people want to see, they like to talk about, they like to watch the behaviors, whether they're on shore, kind of waddling around, or just sitting there, or if they're just sitting on like a um, on a dock preening or something. Uh, so they're definitely they're one that we love and we want to talk about. And, and for example, too, they're uh, the state bird of Louisiana, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, and that's state actually has fought very hard for their conservation the conservation story of the Brown Pelican is one that's really interesting and it kind of follows along the lines of the, um, the bald Eagle here in the United States where it just plummeted um, mm-hmm. in the, in, what is it in the, in the seventies, it was yeah. basically declared endangered. So the yeah. Brown Pelican, which we see all the time now in the seventies, which was like what, 40, 50 years ago, uh, showing my age here, uh it was yeah, declared endangered and um a lot of that had to do in the 70s with the uh the DDT the pesticide that was in in use at the time and this DDT was found uh to basically be a bioaccumulator in the in the food web and so with the pelican being not the top dog of the food chain but you know up there uh eating larger fish and that had eaten other fish that had had been exposed to DDT. Anyways, it bioaccumulates in the way in, in these big birds, the way that it, um, affected them is that it interrupted their, uh, calcium, basically their calcium pathways and their estrogen pathways. And so, uh, when the Brown Pelican would have a clutch of eggs, the shelled the membrane shell, um, would be super thin and break and so yeah, all a yeah. lot or all I don't know if all but a lot of the babies would die and so anyways DDT was outlawed but it's one of these I don't know if it's considered a forever chemical but it's definitely a chemical that has stayed uh stayed in the waterways and animal systems for a long time but the United States took some sweeping actions to uh Help protect those that were alive, and of course, once again, ban DDT and do more research about it. And then their population has bounced back. And mm-hmm. so, uh, and actually, in 2009, the brown pelican was delisted, which is a, a huge success story in the United States as far as when a, when an animal goes from being on the Endangered Species Act, to then being delisted. Uh, so, uh, a really a really great success story. But then in 2010. There was the BP pipeline oil gulf spill incident that really affected Oof. a lot of the coastline wildlife, including yeah. ground pelicans. So they got knocked down by that in, in the Louisiana kind of bayou region, uh, but then- The wildlife management worked really, really hard to help restore them back in Louisiana after their numbers plummeted again. Uh, They did that, I think, by uh, actually reintroducing some some Florida brown pelicans and trying to get that population going and monitoring them, protecting them, and obviously trying to prevent more of these incidents from happening. Flash forward, you know, almost 15 years later, they have a, a healthy population of brown pelicans again. So... Yeah, and nationwide, the brown pelican is doing well in general, and the numbers are growing. So success story, and that's and in my in my opinion, that's a great reason why to care because they they have been resilient. We have saved them from indan- uh, from becoming endangered and or extinct, and we need to keep an eye on them and make sure that doesn't happen again. And I think these these water shorebirds act as a Bioindicator,
2: yeah, yeah of a
1: health, uh, yeah, of a healthy coastal environment. So you have a healthy, thriving brown po- brown pelican population. I think it means you have a healthy, thriving coastal ecosystem, which mm-hmm. is what we
0: want, right? No, it is, it is, it is. These shorebirds are are so important, and and they're just amazing to watch. Like one of the things, you know, after like I said, now, now I'm a bird nerd, and Jesse really got me into bird watching. You know, it's it's when I go. to – we do go to the coast and look for these migratory birds or these shorebirds, and they're just amazing. Their stories are amazing. I mean, we have and we have birds migrating here, you know, uh, from from the the north, you know, near the Arctic, that come down to New Zealand, and it's it's amazing the the distance they cover. And we're going to tell that story. We're going to tell some of the Arctic turn. I'm I'm dying to tell that story. I think this Christmas we'll talk about that one that goes pole to pole. So. Did, kind of to keep telling this good story, Plastic Free July was a big success. Uh, I've got some of the statistics on the, the challenge that we did and the overall statistics. We also forgot to mention, we did we had two amazing interviews this month with Dr. Lisa Ertle from Five Guyers and then Carly Jackson from Minorities and Shark Sciences. So thank you both to those amazing women for what they're doing in our oceans. And, you know, please check those out if you haven't listened to them and you know the plastics are 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 very harmful to our birds it's albatross is the, like one of the birds that really is is their populations are getting decimated because of ocean plastics because they skim their beaks across the top of the water and pelicans do this too you know and, and how they hunt and they they take in plastics you know so when the pelican dives you know, and, and opens up that that big pouch. I mean, they get some plastics in there. So, you know, just statistics on on how it affects sea going birds. It's an estimated one million birds die every year uh, because of plastic pollution. And some of it is is getting in their stomachs, you know, where now today 80% of birds have plastic in their stomachs. And they say by 2050, 99% of all seabirds will have some plastic in their their system so yeah it's not good and you know it's not just consuming it it's getting entangled in it so that's the other thing that that kills them so what we did and what others that listen to this podcast and and then many other teams from around the world and this this is growing each year that we've started it this is our third year i think that we've done this the plastic free july so just to give you a synopsis of this one, there was over 6,000 participants from 46 countries. So there was 310 teams. So the 310 uh, that saved roughly 18,886 disposable cups were not sent to the landfill. So what it is is every day you'd go in there and log in and say, okay, I I I used a reusable cup which I did all the time, my reusable coffee mug or my uh, refillable plastic water bottle. Not plastic, it's actually uh, mine's metal, but 35,795 plastic bottles were not sent to the landfill. I was going to do some math and go like, oh my God, what's the volume of that? I mean, that's a lot. (laughs) 35,000 liters at least. I
1: love your enthusiasm, yes. Mm -hmm.
0: 73,196 plastic containers not sent to the landfill, 23,608 pieces of plastic cutlery, 18,301 plastic straws were not sent to the landfill or, you know, got dropped in our oceans, Uh, 65,000 pieces of litter were picked up. I didn't even see that one. I pick up litter all the time. (laughs) I would have done well there. Uh, There was 8,343 conversations with people about plastics. I know I did that. And I did it with some of my work colleagues, and I did it with my family. I know you did that, so we were part of that. And 1,371 public officials or leaders were contacted about our plastics. I
1: did that Mm -hmm. Yeah, out of my comfort zone, but I did it.
0: Yeah, it was good. So that gives you a synopsis of what this challenge has done uh, just this year. Now, unfortunately, Team All Creatures Podcast didn't win, but... But remember, 310 teams. The number one team, I tipped my hat to Maryland Zoo. They had 335 members. They they, they knocked it out. Followed by my good friends at the LA Zoo. So the Angelino Plastic Eliminators. Mike and crew over there. I love you guys and you know, guys and gals. Wonderful, wonderful people there. Number three was Starbucks, which is good. Starbucks Coffee Company. Had 412 members, so Starbucks is still pu- pumping up some plastic out there. So They, I, they to- were one
1: of the companies I reached out to yes. to express my love for them, but also that I feel like they need to do more.
0: More. Yes, they need to do more. They absolutely do. They and they did.
1: To- they responded, and they told me what they were doing, and that yeah. a lot of their plastic is actually from recycled plastic, okay, so that's okay, at least okay, okay, not good. virgin. Yeah. Um. But anyways-
0: So, then you had Oklahoma City Zoo, National Aquarium, Cleveland Clinic for Sustainability, Florida Aquarium Team, Zoo New England, Columbus Zoo, and then Sea Turtle Inc. So, that was your top 10. Now, the All Creatures Team did really well. We placed 49th out of 310. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty good. So, yeah, we did really well. So, my question was, did we beat John in the Santa Fe Teaching College Zoo? And drum roll, please. The short answer is no. <laughs> <We> <laughs> Never. <did not. laughs> they, they beat us. They're thirteenth, which is amazing. That's really great yes, for them. I know they're. they're
1: yeah. It's great. It's great. They yeah, had a they did really well. And, yeah, they mm-hmm. did
0: really well. I mean, I'm very happy
1: for my husband and yeah. his team.
0: <laughs> yeah, the New York Power Authority beat them. So yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. So I just want to give out some shout-outs to our team members. So Sosa Larson, I, I hope I'm saying your name right, call, email us if not. Because we you know, love you and we appreciate yes, it. You all <laughs> of the work you
1: did this month. You yes. killed it. So thank yeah. you. It was awesome. Yeah. yeah.
0: And then Erin was right behind her. Hennessy. Ah,
1: My girl Erin. Woo
0: yeah and then pip was right behind us yeah yeah it's all your friends i I was kicking pip in the rear uh tammy uh, shana cecilia jill megan allison chantel carly kirsty nyla meredith maggie ellen i think that was all of everybody thank you so much for participating we did our part we we did really well so thank you so much but the most important is you know if you're listening to this is reducing your plastic use thank you for what you do every day Uh, you didn't need to participate in this challenge i i I guarantee you people listening are changing the way they they buy products or consume or single-use plastic so thank you for what you're doing too so for me and angie big big hugs virtual hug thank you (laughs) before we jump into evolution angie let's just take a quick break
1: No purchase necessary. Void, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face off launches April 9th.
0: All right, welcome back. And we're going to jump into evolution. Angie, not a... Well, there's some surprises in here. Okay, we'll, we'll get there in a second. So the class is aves, so our 10,000 species of bird. The order is fun. So pelican uniforms. There are so many birds in this one I wanna do. Like <laughs> can you think of one that we did do? They're actually their own, I think, family in here. Oh boy. Okay, so we have the Ibis and Spoonbills, the Herons, the Pelicans, and then well, what's, on your, oh. what's on your foot? <laughs> what's on your foot that you wear out of the house? <laughs> oh the shoe bill yeah 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 the shoe bill mm-hmm. so episode 206 it's almost 100 episodes ago so it's okay that was Angie. a fun one though oh
1: that bird they're... looks like a
0: dinosaur it is a dinosaur they're all dinosaurs that's yeah that's where they came from well
1: looking at a baby pelican a, a hatchling i'm just like that that's a, a pterodactyl yeah or a pteranodon or whatever one of the flying yeah. one of the flying dinosaurs <laughs> yeah I mean, not seriously, far. Right? Yeah, they're not far, yeah. not far,
0: not far. Yeah, they're not far. Uh, very closely related to them. So, oh, I don't think that close, but they are related <laughs> to them. is <laughs> uh, Pelicanidae, and there's only eight species. So these are the, the eight species of pelican we have today. So you go from this larger family, like 50, 60 species, down mm-hmm. to eight. And then the genus is Pelicanus, which is all eight species. And then for the brown pelican, it's Pelicanus occidentalis. So that's the scientific name. Now, of the eight species, we Angie already talked about the American white. So that is North America and Mexico. So that one lives in North America, so Mexico up. Then the brown pelican. Then they have the Peruvian pelican. So, Pacific Coast of South America from Ecuador and Peru down to southern Chile. Then the Great White Pelican. So, this one's actually Mediterranean all the way over to Indonesia. So, So, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then even down to South Africa. So, they've got a massive, massive range. Then our favorite, Nigel, the Australian pelican. So, you know, Australia, New Guinea can be a vagrant to New Zealand. So I have not seen a pelican here yet. Uh, But on my uh, end of the world uh, is where they lived. Then you have the pink-backed pelican, which is Africa, South Arabia, Madagascar, that region. You said the Dalmatian. That was the one I almost picked
1: yeah I mean they're beautiful but their wingspans 11 and a half feet and they average around 30 pounds
0: that's why I was gonna pick them the, the big yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah and they're and they're threatened so you they, know, they are we'll talk yeah. about
1: them in conservation yeah
0: yeah they're threatened uh the and then the spot billed pelican uh, this is southern Asia uh you know Pakistan India over to Indonesia and then up philippines up near the the southern portions of china so that's where they're from now like you said the the gray the spot-billed pelican is also uh near threatened the peruvian pelican is near threatened so some of these species are uh heading towards extinction now the relationship with them is interesting because some of these birds are ground nesters and tree nesting, and that's how historically they broke them out. But now that we have DNA and we're able to to do that more easier, and there's people out there you know mapping all of this, there is the paper by Kennedy and others who's out of New Zealand. Woohoo. Nice. Uh, Dr. Kennedy, good job. But it's the phylogenetic relationship of the pelicans inferred from DNA sequence data. So we know the American white, the brown, and the Peruvian are the new world pelicans, closely related. The brown and Peruvian are actually really closely related, and then the American white. The old world, you have the Dalmatian and spot build are very closely related. Then the pink-backed, then the Australian, and then the great white. So the great white is actually one of the more ancient uh, pelican species out of them. Now, what's, what I love about this, like you've already said this, these are dinosaurs, right? Birds, we, we know, emerge you know, from dinosaurs 160 million years ago. Pelicans, the oldest pelican fossil we can find is about 35, 36 million years ago out of Egypt. What is interesting is nothing's changed since... Stop. Yeah, you look at the fossil, and you're like, "Yeah, that's the skeleton of a the pelican. pelican." I mean, mm-hmm. it is the the bill and everything. So, in 2010, there was a an article about this pelican fossil that they found, and it, like Angie said, you look at it, and it 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 is a pelican. The beak is massive. Uh, the body's the same. So what scientists believe is they've probably evolved. They've evolved. There's something before them that that got that bill there. They just haven't really found those bones yet or made the connection. But since, not much has changed. They've just distributed a little bit. And what they have going on has worked well for 30 million years.
1: Right. And that's another reason of to why I CARE and just how how they're able to adapt and and maybe they migrate maybe they don't Mm -hmm, i mean it's just mm -hmm. yeah they're just really really incredible birds a lot a lot of fun
0: yeah and then i just forgot to mention with the brown pelican pelican there are four subspecies so because you do have the ones uh, you have a group in the galapagos islands and then that portion of south america and, and then you have the western united states the pacific coast and up yeah, not quite up into British Columbia uh, and down into Central America. And then you have the Atlantic side and then the ones in the Bahamas and Caribbean. So, so there are five subspecies that are uh, located up and around and that's it for evolution. So very, it, this is, you look at them and now I'm going to think of pterodactyls <laughs> when I see them flying. And that brings me to, not only do they call it a squadron, this is what I love. If they're fishing as a group, they call it a fleet. <laughs> or sometimes they're called a pod. Or they're called a pouch. Or they're called a scoop. <laughs> so I think that's amazing. Because
1: we love them. There's a lot of names to give them. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. And then just to, to, to tie that up is they they fly fast. They're, they can fly up to 30 miles an hour. And those dives are going about 40 miles an hour. I mean, it's it's pretty fun uh they can live up to 43 years that's the oldest we know of a pelican one thing i thought was really interesting angie and i hadn't thought of it i hadn't thought of it and i found this video and i sent it to you because i was really excited about it and it just made me think of we did the ivory-headed was it the ivory-headed the red-headed woodpecker the woodpecker we did Mm -hmm. many two years ago and talking about how they can survive that concussion of pounding their heads against the tree, mm-hmm. so when I saw this, pelicans diving without hurting themselves, I thought, "Oh, yeah, it's fine. They they shouldn't." But then I thought, about forty miles an hour, they can really hurt themselves. Sure, like they really the water, can. Water, right? Yeah, like yeah. yeah, it's not. Water could be could kill you if you're going really fast. So
1: sure, and there's and they're recorded up to seventy feet doing these dives
0: so yeah
1: 40 is like probably i don't know if that's average but yes it, it's it's in and they're big they're a big they're a large mass yeah screaming towards water. the water mm-hmm. how do they
0: survive it like that how do they survive it i thought that was an amazing scientific question so uh, what do they do like how do they survive this
1: well first of all to even do a dive from 40 or 70 feet up, you have to have a really good eyesight to spot the prey, right? To spot the, the fish, the schools of fish that they're looking for. And you have to have good aim. And then once you land your target, you go. And as Chris mentioned, they go really fast. So what I love about the brown pelican, when they impact the water, it's not just one or two things. It's this complex physiology and behavior behavioral mechanisms coming together to help this bird do this crazy feat and first and foremost they have that long spear-like bill so that's super helpful because they dive head first but the bill cuts the water and slices through the water and helps break the surface tension helps create like a little drag to theoretically like slow them down.
0: That made sense to me. That made sense Mm -hmm. to me. You know? Yeah.
1: But they also have an angle of impact, right? So uh, evolutionarily speaking, they figured out like what angle will best help them stay safe for these dives. And they learn that they can get a better aim and get more fish underwater if they dive at like a steep angle. So between 60 and 90 degrees. And this angle also helps reduce the water refraction on them. So they've got that going for them. But also, as they hit the water, they fold their wings straight back to be very streamlined. Uh, so that way they don't like break a wing, right? So there's just this more. exactly
0: They don't break their, their brittle. Because birds... S- skeletons aren't very strong, right? <laughs> right. Their, their bones
1: are hollow. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. A lot of the bones are hollow. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So right upon, in the slow motion video is really cool. We can put it on our show notes, but when they actually hit the water, yeah, they, right before they hit the water, the, the wings go boom, straight back. And, but they're, and then they also will tighten muscles around their spine for protecting their neck. Cause they do have pretty long necks, right? We don't want to break a neck. And uh and then they also when they hit the water, I mean, anybody who's you know done a lot of diving or swimming knows that you want to be able to see underwater. And so they have this really cool membrane sheath called a nick- nictating membrane, which basically slides over their eyes on impact and acts like goggles so that they can see when they're going after their target. Uh, but then lastly, like as they hit the water and this was so
0: cool. I had no, I, I, I mean, this then it gets better, right? Then it gets, yeah, it's it gets like, better. it's like, I'm not it's even like done. you're selling something. And then let me show you what it does. <laughs>
1: yeah. It, the, the Brown Pelican. Oh, and and keep in mind too, that the Brown Pelican is the only Pelican uh, of the eight different species that will dive for its food from high up above from 40 feet. So they're very very unique and I'm really glad we ended up picking uh, picking the brown pelican because if we picked the white pelican or the Dalmatian pelican we'd be talking more about them hunting from just sitting on top of the water or mm-hmm. from 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 gliding above the water by a few and feet right down, yeah, skimming yeah. and scooping yeah. is more of their behavior uh not this crazy acrobat aerial acrobatic um, dangerous dive mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so anyway sorry about that little that little sidebar but the last thing that they do is as they hit the water, they're actually kind of already, if you think of like a jet that's trying to land a plane, they're actually already like pulling back and trying to pump the brakes, if you will. But to do this from a physiological point of view, they actually have what is known as um, pneumatic formina. And these are specialized air sacs in their chest, neck, belly, and their bones will inflate upon impacting the water.
0: It's so nuts.
1: So, right? So while they're like calculating, like, I don't know, some mathematics, mathematical angles, spotting the fish, calculating the angles, throwing the ring back at, as they hit the water, rolling their unnictating uh, membra- membranes over their eyes, they're also, before they hit the water, they take a big, deep of breath. <sighs> and the air fills this pneumatic formina, or air sacs, to basically help prop them up and slow the impact and uh, cushion them, if you will, and cushion their bones and their bodies and their neck and all that, like a little pillow as they, or if you maybe think of somebody jumping out of like a four-story window right onto like a cushy air pad to like basically help break their uh, impact or their fall into the water.
0: it's every bonkers. species, every species we've covered this past month.
1: Chris, yeah, I know. I love it. I I love this job. This is not a real job since we don't get paid. But you know what yeah. I mean? Like I yeah. it is. It's so crazy.
0: Like it's just each adaptation they do, each thing they do. And this one diving from 70 feet and and not hurting themselves and and they the the pumping the air, that's what got me. I was like, oh, and it gets better. It's like one of those you know paid for tv commercials or whatever it's just oh well
1: and then it's you know and i just think about evolution like there was you know the one species of pelican the new world one and like they are probably just like skimming along the surface diving a little bit and then this this you know a couple of them were like hey if we if we fly higher up we you know we have a different you know we have different prey and we have a different you know um advantage over the other ones and and then they came up with that. Or maybe it was vice versa. Maybe they were all diving and then some other birds were like, that hurts. Like let's just let's skim along you know, the surface. You know, who knows what came first, the chicken or the egg. But it's mm-hmm. just so fascinating. It is. It is. Amazing. You know, and then you know, and does the behavior come first and then the and then the physiology behind it? I don't know. I just I I, I, I love it and I, I wanna I, I wanna know more. It's so yeah.
0: cool. That's what I do each week. Now, now the the defining characteristic of the pelican <laughs> this gular pouch, you yes! know this this is this is this is what defines this bird. I mean, anybody around the world thinks a pelican that's what they're going to think of. So what is it? What does it do?
1: It's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, <yeah>. it's <laughs> basically like this uh, throw pouch of tissue, but really like flexible, extendable tissue uh, that acts like a humongous net. To scoop up prey, and the tissue of the throat pouch is uh, really strong, and it's reinforced by collagen fibers. And I did, I, I dorked out, Chris, and I won't uh, bore our audience with details. But I found a, dis- a dissertation um, from the, the University of California at San Diego, and it was, it was all about the. The gular sac tissue of the brown mm-hmm, pelican, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and this lovely student uh, investigated the structural characterization and mechanical properties of the gular pouch of the brown pelican. And I was like, "What an amazing thesis! Like this is awesome. I would have loved this in my physiology." But I realized it was actually for a master's degree in in um, mechanical engineering.
0: Oh wow! Wow. So okay, trying
1: yeah. to understand mm-hmm. how the heck it's so. St- strong yet flexible Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. yeah really really cool stuff so thank you to the author for that but i i of course i was looking at like they did like they did um transmission electron microscopy so i was like all into that because i got to do a little bit of that yeah but what it boils down to is like reinforced collagen fibers and just a lot of skin that can hold a lot of fish right like if they are Mm -hmm. scooping up a lot of fish um and water basically that's used like a tool. I mean, for lack of for all intents and purposes, right? Like but Chris, what's really fascinating too about the pelican gular pouch is that when they have water in there after scooping up some fish and some water, uh, they actually have to drain the water out before they can actually swallow the fish. So to do this, uh, they'll basically lift their head really slowly with their jaws or their mandibles uh parted just a little bit. So the excess water can kind of flow out the sides of the bill. And then once all the water's out, once, once it's drained, then the bird can basically toss its head back uh, and swallow uh, the fish head first or rearrange it so it swallows, can swallow whatever its uh, food is comfortably. So just a really, really amazing tool, right? It it's is, just it it's is. really crazy. And then, and I of course always have to ask the question: Well, why? Like, why did the pelican go down this evolutionary road of this this really impressive pouch? And of course, researchers don't. We'll never know the answer a hundred percent. But there's definitely a lot of theories out there that make sense. And so. Instead of catching one fish at a time, a lot of time if they if they are able to dive into a school of fish, they can catch multiple. Right, so that's definitely a benefit. Uh, And then when you think about it from an energy point of view, if you can get more, if you're doing this crazy dive, that takes a lot of energy uh, to do. If you're getting more fish for the dive, you're getting more bang for your buck. So
0: more energy back. Yep.
1: Exactly. Mm -hmm, And then the mm -hmm. other thing too, from a uh, parental or reproductive point of view is that when uh, they, uh, that with this pouch, they can bring a lot of food back to their babies, right? So maybe, you know, theoretically making their babies more successful and growing faster and stronger. So um, yeah, just- uh, Yeah,
0: it makes sense. Because I mean, one of the things we always talk about energy. So for us as humans, cause we, we go to work and we buy our food and that's where we get our energy. But for a predator, like a brown pelican, or even just, you know, uh, your favorite, the grass eaters eating grass all day takes energy, right? Living takes energy. So you're going out eating to get energy. So with our carnivores or, you know, omnivores or, or others, you want to expend as least amount of energy to get as much back so it's a balance and that's why like i i don't know why i always think of like male lions in africa i go back to this you know most of them die by the time they're two because they can't hunt you know they need to be part of a pride so the females can help them so they they expend energy chasing after prey that they'll never catch and they die because they go into energy deficit they starve to death you know a lot of them so Anyways, that's a whole different nerdy science uh, offshoot. What the brown pelican, like we said earlier, is a piscivore. So their energy is coming from a lot of schools of fish like anchovies and herring and mullets. uh, A lot of those different smaller fish, right? So that pouch, you know, like you said, it's almost like a net, like a natural net that grabs that water with some fish in it. They come out, they drain the water, and they swallow the fish.
1: Well, and the other thing that should be mentioned too about the dive when they're hunting like that is that they use the pouch to scoop up the fish, ideally a whole bunch of them, but the that impact from plunging actually stuns the fish.
0: Oh, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm.
1: And like slows them down or immobilizes them. So they're, you know, I mean, I, I would be pretty shocked. <laughs> it's pretty shocking to have that yeah <laughs> that spear coming at you and uh so yeah a lot so there so that is also part of the dive mechanism that just makes the fish like you know stunned and then they can scoop up even more of them and reminds
0: me of uh do you remember the the species that uses the uh the thing on their nose <laughs> it's not even a nose it's not even their nose it's a tooth <laughs> just to stun fish i don't know why that just came to my head when you were talking about the spear
1: Oh, let's place your raids
0: uh, um. here. Just look, it, <laughs> it grows. <laughs> it grows through my gum on my mouth.
1: Oh, okay. The narwhal. Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Remember, mm. uh, the narwhal. They, they thought that uh, using their spear was to stun mm-hmm. fish, so it's easier for them to smack the water and stun fish and then eat it. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, well, one in general, the adult pelican is going to consume about four pounds of fish per day uh on average um uh, but yeah whether it's from one plunge or 10 of them right that's uh, a lot of
0: fish this is an 11 pound bird you know sure. mm-hmm. four pounds that's a that's how they get to 16 pounds <laughs> <It's>, geez <laughs> yeah. that's a lot of fish for them yeah, yeah, yeah but
1: they also don't really swim below the surface either in Hunt for fish, right? Like some of the other pelicans will do a little bit more, like dive a little bit deeper for fish and do a little bit more, uh, like in the water with the brown pelican. It's just that that plunge dive and very surface level, and uh, Mm -hmm. they're not going deep down, you know, deep into the water.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and then on the flip side, predation on brown pelicans is pretty rare. I mean, they said sea lions sometimes can attack them or sharks, you know, if they're up on floating in the water, they may strike from below, but it is pretty rare. It's usually the young that get picked off. Uh, Feral cats and dogs are a big, big problem uh, with them. But, you know, natural predators, fish crows, bobcats, uh, American alligators, I read, some iguanas, fish crows, and then fire ants. Ugh. yeah i was reading yeah. about the
1: fire ants that's tough yeah. uh, i don't like
0: fire ants go away uh, fire ants uh, invasive species but anyways yeah they they, they can't get preyed on so let me ask you angie what do pelicans do every day when they're not diving <laughs>
1: well chris interestingly enough they do have to do a lot of diving
2: mm-hmm.
1: so especially when they're younger uh, because it is a skill set, and it takes time and talent to get good at. Mm-hmm. So I found it really fascinating. There was a there was a study in Southwest Me- Mexico that found adult pelicans are usually successful with their dives eighty four percent of the time, but young ones, the juveniles, are only like seventy five percent of the time. Mm-hmm. And luckily, as they age, right, their success rate increases. But, in the same instance, they can be expending a lot of energy until they you know really really get down their uh hunting techniques and they pretty much forage uh during the day, so they're diurnal um but there was there's a dated study from nineteen eighty six uh that put a transmitter on a pelican and found that you know seventy percent of the time they're in daylight hours, but they would be a little over 30% of the time they would be um, active during like dusk and dawn. So, um, you know, never, never at like night, night time because they need to be able to see their prey. Right. And when they're not hunting um, they're typically sunbathing, uh, just relaxing, preening, um, giving themselves a good bath. And brown pelicans actually will use their bill to secrete oil um, from the euro. Pigeal—I probably saying that wrong uropygeal gland onto their feathers, and so that helps keep them a little bit more waterproof. I don't know, if, maybe not waterproof, but water resistant, and uh, keeps them nice and clean. So they'll be hanging out doing that, and then during the nighttime, the brown pelican is going to roost uh, offshore. So. They'll come inland a little bit, maybe on a mangrove inlet or rocks or jetties. Sometimes they'll find a sandbar or pilings uh, where they just hang out and uh, they will sleep. And they're very social birds and very gre- gregarious. I love that word. So they'll congregate in these, in these big flocks and hang out um, actually for most of the year. And they will nest in large colonies. Uh, rather, once again, it's in these mangrove, like, tops of trees or in low bushes. They usually do, like, vegetations to try to conceal themselves. And the pelicans, they they get along really well with one another. And there's actually even been some um, observations of them cooperatively hunting, which I thought that was pretty cool. They, um, they've been observed foraging together um, and basically, like, driving the fish towards the other one, which is – Hmm. pretty incredible right like you think of yeah, that yeah. with like orcas or you know yeah, so, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah.
1: uh so they've been seen doing that they've also been seen uh stealing uh scavenging food from from other seabirds yeah so i'm sure I, i'm sure yeah, bless yeah. their hearts right yeah. can't say you blame them um but yeah, they're not super territorial or aggressive unless it's like breeding season. And then they're gonna be, a, you know, a little bit more nasty. If another pelican comes around their nest, um, they are gonna show it to show show it who's boss and not let them in their nesting area. And and you'll know that a pelican's angry um, or territorial or nesting because. Typically with a male, he'll sway his head and basically uh, make a, a, a really distinct um, hurrah sound, like hurrah, hurrah, like a call. And he'll bow and basically just warn the other pelicans, like, don't come over here or else. Um, and he may raise his bill and spread his wings and just show that he's a tough guy and make that um, hurrah, hurrah sound. So, So you'll know. And that kind of leads into some of their communication behaviors. Uh, the brown pelican is a, is very social. And so they communicate through, uh, of course, vocalizations. They uh, will tactically communicate with one another as far as, you know, preening each other and stuff like that. Uh, but then they have visual cues, right, and chemical signals. So there's a lot going on in the pelican world that, until now I probably never really paid a lot of attention to, but now I'm going to Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because you, you know, you can tell if they're happy, if they're sad, if they're mad. Uh, and so a lot of, a lot of the more flagrant displays are going to be during breeding season, which I'll get to here in a second. Um, but other behaviors can basically be raising the bill, spreading the wings, moving the head side to side, They can make the territorial sounds. They can make peeping sounds. The brown pelican vocal repertoire is not like a songbirds or anything like that, but they definitely have different noises that they make depending on what their needs are, whether they're begging for food or they're making a territorial display um, or it's breeding season and they want to communicate their
0: uh, love to one another. And that's what I love about bird watching, Angie. That's why I'm such a fan now is because you start really start paying attention to calls and you'll start like one of the things I do is I, I can identify certain birds now by their calls and you know you go out and you're like oh yeah okay that's a that's a fantail because it's always squawking or, or it's always beep 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 beep, beep. Uh, it's just fun it's great so I definitely want to go out and listen to more of these shorebirds and and see if I could start identifying them by that one thing that stands out that you said earlier on and, and I was waiting because we I know we're going to do reproduction in a second is this changing color. That is very is it kind of unique to the bird world because you know a lot of the males are flashy, you know trying to get the females because it's always the males trying to show off and the females saying yes or no. So I'm trying to think in the bird world of like that's pretty unique.
1: Yeah, it's really cool. And it's funny, this this whole month we've been talking about a lot of color change yeah, <laughs> with species, right? We yeah. have the salmon, both the male and female, get these distinct color changes and morphological changes. And then the mantis shrimp, I believe there are the definitely rainbow. some color oh, changes yeah. with that. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty gnarly. And uh, we'll have to explore a lot more birds or talk to some bird experts about how unique uh, these color changes are. Uh, for the brown pelican. But yes, they, I mean, from non-breeding adult to breeding adult, their head and neck will change colors, right? So the plumage along the head and neck is just gorgeous. Um, When it's breeding season, the head uh, becomes yellow, but the, n- the neck turns like dark brown in color. So it's just crazy and then when it's not breeding season they're like more white uh the, the head's more white it's just it's just incredible and then their eyes actually change color which i yeah, that's i don't weird. know if we've covered that before yeah. that doesn't say it doesn't happen in any other animals we might it might have just missed it because obviously there's so many fun facts with all the animals we cover but yeah i mean the juvenile brown pelicans have a brown iris which will usually change to light tan or blue
0: during courtship that's crazy. okay that's that's a first that's mm-hmm. a first and yeah. then
1: and then after incubation of the eggs the iris returns to dark brown and then in adults the eye ring is gray pink most of the year but changes to pink during mating and then darkens again after incubation
0: the only, yeah the only thing i can think of is the the African penguin, they have – but that's just heat regulation, right? That's thermoregulation. They have that patch above their eyes that, that gets like red and stuff to thermoregulate, oh, yeah, to thermoregulate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, no, I I can't think of anything that has eye color change. That's – wow. Why, yeah. Where did I miss that? I missed that one.
1: <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. And then it's weird that the juveniles are doing it when they're not even mm-hmm. really like breeding. But, and then they do it again too when they're adults. So, just like a lot of different – color changes in the eye, and then that gular or throat pouch also changes colors. And so year round, it's usually kind of just this dark gray, green color. But during mating, uh, in both males and females, I believe, the uh, proximal area of the pouch will turn this brilliant bright red color. Wow. Yeah. And then for both males and females, like during and after incubation, that area of the pouch turns, you know, back to this normal brown, gray green color. Mm-hmm. Kind of boring after being bright red, right?
0: Yeah, yep, 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 yep.
1: So it's just crazy. And and of course I was like, Well, how does it do that? And why does it do that? And yeah, and it's and they're not completely alone. I mean, coloration in birds has been found to indicate health and fitness. Uh, and a lot of times it has to do with the carotenoid pigment pigments that are acquired with the diet. Like if you think of flamingos, the carotenoid pigments are also involved in the um, in the pelicans' breeding change color. Uh, and but truth be told, the actual like physical mechanism behind it,
0: uh, they don't they don't fully understand that. Before we we jump into repro, I think we should just take a quick break. And we'll be right back. All right, we're back now, Angie. Earlier, you know, in their conservation story, this is where the DDT really was devastating to the brown pelican. But now today, they're they're doing better. What's going on with repro? I mean, they they have a good ha- uh, what is it a, a clutch of eggs, right? Good size, not just one,
1: right? It can be anywhere from one to three. Yeah, is, like is up to pretty, three. Yep. It's typical, and uh, yeah, I mean, in general, the brown pelican. Is uh, is seasonally monogamous, so they find a partner uh, each season, and they nest. Their nesting pattern is somewhat irregular. It depends on the subspecies and the region where where they're at. Do they migrate? Don't they? Um, but they, yeah, they'll stick with that that same partner for that season. And of course, the breeding season of the brown pelican will depend on local food abundance, and then once again, latitude, so how far north or south they are. But in general, the nesting season for the brown pelican that's in tropical regions will start in late fall and last into early June. And so here in the United States, there's about 10 states where they like to breed. Uh, It's going to, of course, be like Florida, Louisiana, Alabama, Texas, California, uh, Georgia, South Carolina, but they can go as far north as Maryland and Virginia. And the ideal situation for the brown pelican to breed is to move to smaller, predator-free, less people-type uh, islands um, in the, on the Atlantic and Gulf Coasts. Like the, they'll find barrier islands or natural estuarine islands. Uh, and in the Pacific Coast, uh, they like to go off the northern Gulf of California and on those dry, rocky islands and hang out. And the male brown pelican is the one that will select the site. So he picks a nest site and where he is going to start his courtship behaviors and start his territorial behaviors as, telling, as far as telling other uh, male pelicans, hey, this is, this is my area where I want to build a nest. And he'll protect this potential nest site and nearby perches in the area for up to three weeks. And during this time, he'll put on displays, he'll throw his bill around, he'll expose his throat, his throat pouch, and the male will try to initiate courtship with the females that walk by. And the male will show off his stuff by swaying and bowing and turning, and then a vocalization of a a deep kind of raw, low raw call. And when a female does show interest in him, he'll typically do these courtship behaviors for like two to four days uh, and really just show off his stuff. And then when the female selects him, they'll bond and this courtship period can last over 20 days as far as bonding and hanging out and building a nest together. So once they're bonded and become a pair, the male will present the female with nesting materials. It can be things like twigs and stems, sometimes some seaweed. Uh, they've been known to also use, of course, man-made items, ropes, uh, screens, plastic, things like that. And a lot of times the nest that they build can be s- like a simple shallow depression in the sand uh, lined with grass, or it can be more of a structure built up on a rock um, with all these sticks and grass and seaweed and a little bit more elaborate. So it just depends on the individual. And once again, the location, depending on the species or subspecies. And yeah, they hang out and they just build this nice nest together. And then the female is going to lay one to two eggs, or sorry, one to three eggs. So on average, two. And the incubation period is about 28 to 30 days. And it should be known that the brown pelican is a good dad. Mm-hmm. Not is he only help build the nest and deliver material to the female and i love i love that like he brings her the stuff and she puts it in the right spot you know of what course. i mean
0: of course <laughs> always like thank
1: you but no thank you like yes. i will take i will take it from here honey yeah, you yeah, know yeah, yeah, yeah. stand
0: aside go collect yeah. some more sticks please
1: go get some more sticks you- less plastic more sticks less yep, seaweed yep. please please yep, less seaweed yep. uh and so Anyways, uh, but he's very helpful with that. But then once the eggs are laid, he does a great job helping incubate them. And I also love brown pelicans because they incubate their eggs in a really unique way compared to other pelicans. They'll actually cover them with their webbed feet. So yeah, they got these big old webbed feet and they I don't, they stand on the eggs, but very gently and their warm skin of the webbing helps warm the eggs. And the, both parents are responsible for incubating them and then turning them as well. And then of course, protecting them from predators. And then when the brown pelican chick is born, uh, we'll have to put a picture on our show notes because they are born blind and featherless and looking like baby, uh, uh yes. pteranodons. they and, do they Yes. do <laughs> it's crazy right and then yeah. they start to get they do start to get these little pin feathers that are you know as they start to start to grow but yeah they're pretty pretty helpless and the parents bring take turns uh, bringing back fish, right, in that throat pouch. And then they regurgitate the prey into the nest. Or when the chicks get a little bit older, they'll help, like, allow them to, like, eat the food or whatever. And the brown pelican parents basically alternate protecting the nest and feeding the offspring until they start to get a little bit more down feathers and look like actual chicks uh, until they're about four to six weeks old. But the parents will continue to feed them till they're about 11 to 12 weeks. Old and that's when they reach like the basically the fledgling stage. Right. right. Um. And that when they're about three months old, that's when they the the chicks will abandon the nest and the parents stop feeding them, but the chicks will still hang out kind of around their birth around their birth site uh, and maybe play with other other fledglings and learn to fly and practice a lot of these maneuvers that take a long time because they are juveniles for a while. I mean, they don't really become sexually mature until they're about three years old. But Chris, it should be mentioned too, the brown pelican survival, when we think about the conservation story, it's hard. It's hard to make it into the, um, to becoming an adult brown pelican. Uh, there was a study that showed um, that the first, the hatchling has about um, a 70% survival rate and found that 30% of nestling's didn't make it, um, or were killed by an older, older sibling.
0: Siblings older. So I I felt two older brothers.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I'm lucky I
0: made it to adulthood.
1: So, yeah. So, I mean, that's, you know, we got to keep an eye on them because they're not, you know, they're not just with only a clutch of one to three during breeding season, I mean that's that's not a lot, right? If only one Well, to, you had the you big oil.
0: Yeah, and you had that big oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico for a year, you know, and we always forget about that and like you said wiped them out in Louisiana and had to uh, bring others in to to try to boost the population. So mm-hmm. yeah, they don't they don't have a quick rebound. Um, the good thing is with the browns like least concern and they do have a, a good conservation story, but they're they're still all animals across the planet, especially our aquatic birds a lot of uh, there's a lot of challenges you know with uh, talking about plastics in the ocean, fish hooks, oil spills, you know, even development near their nesting sites. so there is there is a lot of threats out there for pelicans and so we we need to like Angie said we need to keep our eyes on them even things like El Nino or La Nina, you know, we're going to have another La Nina down here in the Southern Pacific. And, you know, that affects where the fish swim. So that affects, you know, pelicans where they can go and and catch their food. So yeah, there are a lot of challenges uh, for them. So are there any organizations out there that really are supporting pelicans? Yeah, Chris, I'm going to give a big shout out this week to the American Bird Conservancy. Uh, They
1: can be found at abcbirds.org. And of course, on all social media channels, check them out on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and YouTube. And so the mission of the American Bird Conservancy is to basically stand up for birds and their habitats throughout the Americas and get proven results. And so the Brown Pelican, the American Bird Conservancy, has basically been keeping their eye on two critical components of the Brown Pelican's re- uh, recovery uh, because they're in certain regions, in certain populations, they are not out of the woods. And yes, they've been delisted from the Endangered Species Act, um, but this group is trying to make sure that that's actually the right move for them and trying to work towards legislation to help these certain threatened populations or pockets of the Brown Pelican to make sure that they don't get in trouble again. So they're really keeping an eye on their recovery and making sure that they are rebounding the way that uh, they're rebounding everywhere um, well and not just in certain pockets. So they do great work and they have a lot of scientists and conservationists working behind the scenes with, uh, to try to improve legislation, uh, collect scientific data and of course help educate, um, the public. So check out abcbirds.org and give them a like and a follow on, um, on social media.
0: Yep. Yep. And then my conservation tip of the week, you know, we've, 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 Really talked a lot about plastics, so please adhere to that and and work on that. But go birding, download the eBird and Merlin bird ID apps. You will thank me later. I it's it's nature's Pokemon Go. You go out, you gotta collect them all. You know, it's really great for the kids. I go out with my boys, identify birds with the app, you know, and we we make a game of it. It's really fun. The data gets uploaded to the eBird website, so you can see the the range of these birds. But you start to to notice these birds around us more. I've noticed that now I go to work, I'm walking in, I hear them, I identify them. I'm like, Oh, you know, and I, you know, lunch, I go for walks around and, and, and identify different birds and, uh, you know, enjoy nature and the wildlife around us. So that's my conservation tip of a week, but Angie, amazing month and great job on the the plastic free July.
1: Thank you. It's fun. It's always refreshing to uh, work together. It takes a village, right? We're not in this alone and to encourage each other to share ideas and then also to challenge myself and get out of my comfort zone and write some letters to companies and politicians and yeah, just stuff that I normally maybe wouldn't take the time to do, but really um, feeling satisfied and trying to vote with my dollar, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. One day at a time. And uh, and then of course do it in the group setting. So thank you to everyone who participated. And and one of my bigger take home messages was like plastic free July or trying to reduce your plastic consumption and monitoring it in July is awesome. But I want to spread that out through the year and keep doing, you know, little s- subtle challenges uh, throughout the, uh, throughout the year. So
0: absolutely absolutely and we'll do it again next year and you know we'll definitely go back to the ocean here soon but i think soon you know next we'll be going back to land (laughs) and uh talk some species but yeah we'll be back in the ocean soon because there's so many amazing amazing animals but thank you for listening thank you for supporting the podcast thank you for sharing this information and thank you for being a conservation hero bye-bye everyone listen
2: learn share join the movement